order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Tommy Shepherd. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, I'm sure the whole House will wish to join me in offering our heartfelt condolences to the family and friends of Private Rhys Miller from the 1st Battalion, the Yorkshire Regiment, who died on the 30th of June while on operations in Estonia as a result of a non-battle injury. Private Miller served his country with great distinction, and that service will not be forgotten. Mr Speaker, this week marks 70 years since the NHS was founded. It's rightly one of the nation's most loved institutions, and I would like to take this opportunity to pay tribute to and recognise the dedication and hard work of NHS staff across the country. And finally, Mr Speaker, the country witnessed a very rare and welcome event last night. The England football team winning a penalty shootout. Can I say, I think the the explosion of relief and most of all joy could be felt up and down the country, not just in the smoking room of the House of Commons. Uh, And I want to congratulate Gareth Southgate and his team on a great performance. Last week, I promised to fly the flag of St George above number 10 for all of England's remaining matches in the World Cup. And I know the whole House will want to join me in wishing the England team the best of luck in Saturday's quarter-final. Let's keep that flag flying. And, Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In, att- in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Tommy Shepherd. Scotland Act transferred responsibility for the Prime Estate in Scotland to the Scottish Government. But a large retail park in my constituency called Fort Canard was exempted from the transfer on the grounds that it was tied up with a private joint venture. Last month, the Government sold the Crown Estate's interests in Fort Canard for the receipt of £167 million. And last week, the Treasury confirmed to me that none of that money would go to the Scottish Government, but it would be retained here in London. Can I ask the Prime Minister to review that decision in order that the proceeds from the sale of a major public asset in Scotland's capital city are given to the people of Scotland. Can I say to the Honourable Gentleman that my understanding is that when he says the money has come to the Government, it is actually money that has gone to the Crown Estate. But I'm happy to look at that and to clarify that point in writing to him. McLean! I'm sure there's one question I don't need to ask the Prime Minister, which is, does she believe that football is coming home? So the one question I will ask her, does she also agree that another great victory for our United Kingdom is the BAE contract? And what does she think that means for jobs up and down the country in the manufacturing supply chain after we leave the EU? the Honourable Lady, I sincerely hope, actually, that members across the whole of this House will be congratulating England's success and welcoming England's success. Uh, But my Honourable Friend is absolutely right also to highlight this excellent news that Australia has selected the Global Combat Ship Australia uh, as the preferred tenderer for their future frigate programme. Uh, The scale and nature of this contract puts the UK at the forefront of maritime design and engineering, demonstrates what can be achieved by UK industry and government working hand in hand, and it's the start of a new era in strategic defence industrial collaboration between the UK and Australia, which will be reinforced by the forthcoming defence industrial dialogue. As we leave the UK, as we leave the EU, we will be able to... (laughs) 
European Union, we have an opportunity as a UK to build on that closer relationship with allies like Australia, and that's exactly what we're doing. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I share the Prime Minister's tribute to Private Rhys Miller, who died while serving in the 1st Battalion, the Yorkshire Regiment. Our thoughts are with his family, his friends, and of course the entire regiment. I spent the weekend congratulating the NHS on its 70th birthday in Nybevan's birthplace. And the message from the crowd there was, the NHS is great, let's fund it properly. And And whilst... And whilst we're speaking of emergency services, Mr Speaker, I do think we should send a message from this House of our thanks and support to all those firefighters tackling these huge fires on Saddleworth Moor and Winter Hill. And of course I congratulate the England team on a fantastic performance last night. Wish them well on Saturday in the match against Sweden. Mr Speaker, with... With fares, with fares rising above inflation, passenger numbers falling and services being cut, does the Prime Minister accept her failure on yet another public services, the buses? first of all say to the right honourable gentleman that I absolutely agree with him and I'm sure all members of this House that our thanks should go to the firefighters and the troops who have been struggling to deal with these terrible fires that we have seen on the moorlands in the north of of Britain. Uh, On the point about the buses I would merely point out to him that actually I think we should look at the responsibility that local authorities have up and down this country for the the buses. Can I also just uh, comment on a remark that the Right Honourable Gentleman made about putting sufficient funding into the National Health Service? At the last election, the Labour Party said that giving the NHS an extra 2.2% a year would make it the envy of the world. Well, we're not giving it an extra 2.2% or indeed 2.5% or 3%. We're giving it an extra 3.4% a year. tries to say that's not enough. Which, which should we, what should we believe? What he said before the election or what he says after the election? Jeremy Corbyn! Mr Speaker, in case the Prime Minister has forgotten, my question was about buses. <laughs> and, since, and since 2010, and since 2010, her government has cut 46% from bus budgets in England, Number, passenger numbers are falling, and amongst elderly and disabled, it's fallen by 10%. Her government belatedly committed to keeping the free bus pass, but a bus pass isn't much use if there isn't a bus. So does the Prime Minister think it's fair that bus fares have risen by 13% more than inflation since 2010? 
the right honourable gentleman. He, he uh, says that he asked originally uh, in his first question about buses. He did indeed, and I gave him an answer in reference to buses. But what he cannot do is simply stand up and make assertions about what the government is doing without expecting those to be challenged, which is exactly what I did on his funding for the National Health Service. What we have seen across the country, and it was right that we made that commitment in relation to bus passes, what what we have seen across the country is that we are seeing that as people's working habits are changing, that we are seeing people uh, less usage of buses around the country. But this is something something that we work with local authorities on. There are many uh, responsibilities that local authorities have in relation to buses, and I suggest that he asked some of those local authorities what they're doing about the buses in their own area. Mr Speaker, under this government, fares have risen three times faster than people's pay. Bus users are often people on lower income whose wages are lower than they were ten years ago in real terms and have suffered a benefit freeze. And this government, under their stewardship, has cut 500 bus routes every year, leaving many people more isolated, lonely and damaging our local communities. Does the Prime Minister believe that bus services are a public responsibility or just something you leave to the market? Can I say to the right honourable gentleman, and uh, I, you know, I made the point on two occasions about the responsibilities that other ha- others have in relation to buses. So he might, for example, look at what the Mayor of London, who I last looked at was a Labour politician, is doing in relation to buses in London. But he talks also about the impact of fares on low-income people. It is important that we consider the situation of people who are on low incomes. That's why it is this government that introduced the national living wage and has increased the national living wage. That is why it is this government that has taken four million people out of paying income tax altogether. That is helping people on low incomes in this country. Jeremy Corbyn! Mr Speaker, when Sadiq Khan ran for Mayor of London, he promised to freeze bus fares. And do you know what he's done? Frozen bus fares. If she's concerned... If she's concerned about the travel card fares, speak to the Secretary of State for Transport. He's the one that sets that fare. Mr Speaker, bus routes are being wiped out. 26 million fewer journeys made across the north of England and the Midlands under her government. So much for a northern powerhouse and a Midlands engine. Can we be clear? Does she think, does the Prime Minister think that deregulation of the bus industry, putting profit before passengers, has been a success or a failure? He talks about what the Mayor of London has done. What have we seen on the number of people using buses in London? It's gone down uh, under the uh, the current Mayor. But if he wants to talk about what Mayors are doing, I'm very happy to talk about what Andy Street, the Conservative in the West Midlands, has done. He's extended free bus fares to apprentices and students. Jeremy Corbyn! Mr Speaker, it will be a Labour government that saves the bus industry and a Labour government that gives... That gives free fares to under 26-year-olds. Mr Speaker, the truth is, 
Since deregulation, fares have risen faster than inflation, ridership has fallen, and these private bus monopolies have made a profit since 2010 of £3.3 billion. That's what the Tories give you in public transport. The Government has given Metro Mayors the powers to franchise and regulate to secure better services. Why won't the Government extend that power to all local authorities? to the right honourable gentleman that of course the local authorities do have some responsibilities and capabilities in relation to subsidising bus routes and fares and yes we have given those powers to the uh, giving those powers to the metro mayors but can i also say to the right honourable gentleman he talked a little earlier about uh, reference what was happening in the northern powerhouse and the midlands engine i'll tell him what's happening in the northern powerhouse and the midlands engine more investment in our public transport more investment in our roads more investment in the infrastructure that brings jobs to people in the north and people across the Midlands. Jeremy Corbyn! It's a shame this government is so shy of giving powers to local authorities and instead more interested in cutting their resources. But, Mr Speaker, under this government, bus services are in crisis. Fares are increasing, routes being cut, passenger numbers falling isolating elder and disabled people, damaging communities, high streets and actually leading to more congestion in our towns and cities. People spending more time travelling to work or school. It's bad for our climate change commitments, bad for our air quality. So will the Prime Minister at last recognise the crucial importance of often the only mode of transport available for many people and end the cuts to bus budgets and give councils the power to ensure everyone gets a regulated bus service wherever they live. The right honourable gentleman, I will I'll take no lessons from the right honourable gentleman in devolution to local authorities. Which party is it that has established those metro mayors and given them those powers? It's the Conservative Party in government. Which party is it that is doing growth deals around the country, giving new responsibilities and local authorities? It is this Conservative government. And what did we see in the North East when we were talking to uh, Labour councils in the North East about them having uh, a devolution deal? Labour council leaders in the North East rejected that devolution. Party is doing. He wants to know. He wants to know what this government is delivering for the people of this country, for the North, the South, the Midlands, for every part of this country. Record high employment, rising wages, falling borrowing, stronger environmental protection, and a Britain fit for the future. What man? Mr. Scott. Man. For us, Mr. Speaker, uh, wait for a bus question and then seven come at once. There's another one. <laughs> manager walk with parents from Delabold to St James School. This is a route that Cornwall Council have deemed to be safe and within government guidance and the parents have been refused free public transport for their kids. It's seven miles at three miles there and three miles back. The road has no pavements, no street lighting lighting, and in winter months the children will be asked to walk to and from school in the dark on a single track road with cars, tractors and lorries. There are similar stories all around Cornwall. Will the Prime Minister look at these guidance and talk to Cornwall Council and see what can be done? Well, can 
I say to, to my honourable friend, obviously we are, as I've indicated, com committed in recognising the responsibilities that local authorities have in these, these matters, and we've committed to providing them with the funding they need. We've increased the funding for Cornwall for 2019-20 by over £12 million since 2015-16. As I say, it's a matter for the local authority to decide how to spend their funding and to make decisions on local matters. But I agree with him and would encourage local authorities to make sure that in doing that, they are absolutely taking into account the wishings and concerns of the communities that they serve, including uh, the community that my honourable friend has referred to. Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. As a football fan, can I congratulate England on their very fine victory in the World Cup? Order, order, order. It's very unfair on the <laughs> leader of the Scottish National Party. Order! Order! And I remind the House, or indeed I inform the House, almost certainly for the first time, that we are today visited by an American state senator and his wife, whom I had the great privilege of meeting earlier this morning. I'm sure we will wish to impress the two of them with the quality of our behaviour. Mr Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. And perhaps on American Independence Day we should welcome the senator. Can I congratulate England on their very fine victory in the World Cup? in their coming games. Mr Speaker, this morning we have learned that vote leave is expected to be found guilty of breaking electoral law. Does the Prime Minister agree that we need absolute transparency in elections and that people must be held accountable? Can I say to the right honourable gentleman? Firstly, can I thank the right honourable gentleman for the congratulations and best wishes that he's given to the uh, to the England team. Um, on the issue on the issue that he refers to, I'm not going to. Uh, comment on, and I'm sure honourable members will understand, I'm not going to comment on um, what appears to be a leaked report which the Government has not seen. Uh, the Electoral Commission, in relation to the Vote Leave matter, has said that it will consider representations it's received and will publish a thorough and detailed closing report in order to provide a balanced account, and will, of course, consider that report when uh, the Government receives it, and will also consider any recommendations uh, arising from it when it's released. Ian Blackford. Speaker, of course, it's the principle which is important. Our democracy cannot and must not be bought. Mr Speaker, the Conservatives are systematically shielding their donations from public scrutiny. Jackson Carlaw, MSP for Eastwood, the Honourable Member for Banff and Buchan, the Honourable Member for Murray, have all accepted donations from the Scottish Unionist Association Trust. The Trust has donated... 319,000 people to the Scottish Conservatives, yet there is no information available about who the people are who currently manage the Trust, no public accounts to indicate who its donors are or what assets it holds. The BBC has revealed that the former Vice-Chairman of the Conservative Party in Scotland, Richard Cook, was behind the DUP's £435,000 donation during the EU referendum and has a trail of involvement in illegal activity and foreign money. I'm now giving the Prime Minister I think the Right Honourable Gentleman has finished his question. Yeah, he's finished. Yeah. Can I just say the Right Honourable Gentleman that 
I very much hope and trust that he has advised those members in advance, as he's referred to them, but I know he's approaching his peroration and he'll be sensitive to the fact that the House wants that. Mr Blackford. We have indeed, uh, Mr Speaker. I'm now giving the Prime Minister the chance to tell us what checks the Scottish Tory party had in place before accepting such large donations and will she investigate the links between the Conservative Party and a trust and promise to publish a list of all donations and donors? I can tell the Right Honourable Gentleman that all donations to the Scottish Conservative Party are accepted and declared in accordance with the law. And the Scottish Conservative Party works with the Electoral Commission to make sure that that is all done properly. Gillian Keegan! Domestic abuse is an act of brutality, often hidden in plain sight, and it affects one in four women and one in four men across this country. Last week saw the launch of the Employers' Initiative on Domestic Abuse, and 170 companies and some MPs have signed up to train their employees to spot the telltale signs and to help provide much-needed support. Could I ask the Prime Minister to support this initiative and also to encourage more MPs and businesses across the country to sign up? Can I say to my honourable friend, she's raised a very important issue, and of course, as she has said in her question, this is, a, this is something for which we see many women being victims, but also men can be victims of domestic abuse too. And I certainly welcome the efforts of the Employers' Initiative in raising awareness of this issue, but also in that vital work of providing advice and support to employers and employees on the steps they can take to address it. Uh, I understand that my honourable friend, the Minister for Crime, Safeguarding and Vulnerability and Minister for Women, attended the launch of a toolkit for employers on tackling domestic abuse recently, which was developed in partnership with the Employers Initiative, with Public Health England and Business in the Community, and I would absolutely encourage members from all sides of this House, as employers, to sign up to the initiative, but also to promote it in their constituencies, so that we can take every step uh, we can to root out domestic violence and domestic abuse. Roberta Blackman-Woods. Trump has recently locked up children in cages, instigated a ban on Muslims, stalled action on climate change, started trade wars and is now threatening women's reproductive rights. So shouldn't the Prime Minister be challenging his divisive damaging and damaging yeah, policies yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, instead of, uh, and do that instead of inviting him for tea and cakes at number 10? Lady, that we have indeed, and I have, uh, responded to the points that she has raised. I'll be very clear, and I've said that in this House, for example, on the action that was taken against child migrants, that that was not acceptable. It's not something we would do here in the UK. We did not consider that that was acceptable. But she wants me, she wants me to challenge the President of the United States. What better way to challenge the President of the United States than to be able to sit down and talk to him about it? Mr Simon Clark. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I really look forward to welcoming Heather Stephen, the practice manager at Loftus GP Surgery, to my right honourable friend's Downing Street reception for the NHS later. Can she assure the House that, as part of this government's record investment in the NHS, she, she will ensure that primary care services receive all the support that they need? Yes, can I say to uh, my honourable friend that 
the intention and what will happen with this increase in the NHS budget is that we see it directed to frontline and primary services. Um, we need to have this long-term plan. The NHS is de- uh, developing that long-term plan itself. The budget will have increased by 2023-24 with an extra £20 billion a year in real terms compared with today. But it is that in that 10-year plan that will be led by doctors uh, that we will make sure we're delivering world-class care for everyone. And that plan must also make sure that every penny is well spent. Marsha de Cordova. Thank you, Mr Speaker. This morning, the head of the National Audit Office took the unprecedented step of writing an open letter to the Secretary of State for Work and Pensions, setting out how she has misled Parliament in three respective statements. She has made over universal credit. The ministerial code is very clear that, and I quote, it is of paramount importance that ministers give accurate and truthful information to Parliament, correcting any inadvertent error at the earliest opportunity. Ministers who knowingly mislead Parliament will be expected to offer their resignation to the Prime Minister. Has she? As the Honourable Lady said, uh, it's very clear that Ministers should correct the record in Parliament and the Welfare Secretary will be correcting the record, as I believe she has advised you, Mr Speaker, after PMQs at the dispatch box. Mr Robert Goodwill. On on Saturday in Landudno, the Prime Minister received a warm welcome as the nation paid tribute to our brilliant armed forces. It's great news that Valiant Salisbury will host the event next year, and we're absolutely delighted that Britain's premier resort, Scarborough, will be the location of the National Armed Forces Day event in 2020. So could I ask the Prime Minister if she's looking forward to coming to Scarborough as much as we're looking forward to welcoming her on the 27th of June 2020? And does she suspect, like me, and does she suspect, like me, that the Leader of the Opposition will already have put the date in his diary there's no doubt he'll be planning to wash his hair that day again. <laughs> Can I say to my honourable friend, it was indeed a great privilege to attend Armed Forces Day in Clandidno on Saturday. and to be, It was a fantastic celebration. Obviously, other events took place up and down the country. But it was a great opportunity to recognise the bravery, the professionalism of our armed forces, the wonderful job that they do day in and day out for us, putting themselves on the line and making sacrifices for our safety. I'm delighted that Salisbury and Scarborough will be hosting the day in 2019 and 2020, respectively. As regards Scarborough, Armed Forces Day will give people yet another reason for wanting to visit uh, the great resort of Scarborough in 2020, and I certainly look forward to continuing to celebrate Armed Forces Day in the future and to be able to join him in celebrating it in Scarborough. Alex Norris. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The nursery at Basement Hall College is well used, it's well rated, and it helps parents access further education. Despite this, Nottingham College are planning to close it. Our campaign to stop this is backed by 1,800 local residents and by our local councillors. Does the Prime Minister agree with them that we must remove all barriers to accessing further education, and will she support our call for the College to revisit this decision? I say to the Honourable Gentleman that I haven't seen the details of the particular case that, that issue around this College that he has raised. On the general point, I think it is important that we make sure that education, further education, higher education is available to people, uh, and is available to people whatever their background, whatever their circumstances, and whatever, uh, as I say, whatever their particular circumstances, because I do want to see a country where how far people go in life is about them, it's about their talents, and it's about their willingness to work hard, and not where they've come from or not what their circumstances are. Andrew Lua. 
Uh, uh, would the Prime Minister join me in welcoming the major investment in the exciting new campus for the University of Northampton in my constituency? And does, he share my, does she share my view that this could play a key role in the revitalisation of the town centre? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm very happy to share the uh, view that my honourable friend has expressed in welcoming the investment that is taking place in the new campus for the University of Northampton. It's good to see that investment that's being put in by the university into their staff, into technology, into facilities, into infrastructure, um, but putting students firmly at the heart of the institution. But as he says, it's also a great opportunity for the, uh, the local community. I, I as my honourable friend will know, the campus as part of the Northampton Waterside Enterprise Zone, and I understand that's created over 2,800 jobs and attracted 320 million of private sector investment. I'm sure this new campus will also be uh, a catalyst for investment and new jobs as well. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Maintain nursery schools, employ qualified teachers, are inspected as schools, have all the costs associated with schools, but still they are not funded as schools. Does the Prime Minister recognise that all the grammar schools in the world cannot raise standards if children are neglected in those early years? If these nursery schools are not funded as schools, they will close. Will the Prime Minister commit today to make sure that doesn't happen and make a financial commitment to support them in the future? Well, can I say to the Honourable Lady that I fully recognise the importance of that early years education that is provided by nursery schools and indeed by maintained nursery schools and indeed by others. That was why many years ago, when I was the Chairman of Education in the London Borough of Merton, I was happy to complete a programme which ensured that we put uh, early years education in for those parents who want it at a time when the Labour Government and others were, were not putting it uh, into, uh, when Labour Government previously and the Government at the time were not putting it in. So we recognise the importance of nursery education. Despite uh, great government investment in the railway line from Cambridge into King's Cross, St Pancras and then across London into Thameslink, over the last seven weeks my constituents have endured an appalling service. We are told that that will now improve on the 15th of July, but if it doesn't, does she agree with me that Govia Thameslink should be stripped of the service and a new operator brought in, a new operator of last resort, to sort out this mess. Well, can I, say, can I say to my right honourable friend, as I've said previously, the disruption that passengers have been facing is simply unacceptable, uh, and uh, it's unacceptable that it is continuing to happen today. As he says, the 15th of July, there will be a full interim timetable introduced with the aim of improving reliability and performance for passengers. But clearly, and there is uh, work being done, there's a review of Govia Thameslink, which is going to report in the next few weeks. Clearly, we need to see and uh, ensure, first of all, the priority is to make sure that interim timetable is implemented and passengers do get the services that they need. But secondly, if uh, the services are not provided in the way that is, uh, that is right and the services that passengers need, of course, the Department of Transport will be looking at this and nothing is off the table. Mr Speaker. I invite you and the Prime Minister to visit Newcastle this summer for the Great Exhibition of the North, celebrating engineering and creativity from Stevenson's rocket to the Wilson's Twins suspended island installation. But given the Prime Minister refuses to invest in tidal power or carbon capture or rule out a no-deal Brexit which will devastate engineering supply chains, what hope is there that our engineering future will be as glorious as our engineering past. Yeah. 
I say to, to the uh, honourable lady, there is every hope because of the investment that the, and the uh, commitment that the government is, government is giving through our modern industrial strategy. She asks if I and members of the government will visit the Great Exhibition of the North. I think she may be surprised to find how many of us do indeed visit her over the summer. I'm sure people will, and I visited the honourable lady's constituency in February, and I'm still fizzing with excitement about the matter five months later. Mary Robinson. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Popular Bramwell hairdressers Ed and Mike are visiting here today. Um, it's like many other small businesses, it's through their skills, their expertise, and their hard work that they are successful. Would she join me in praising small businesses up and down the country for the work they do, and also agree with me that it's through building a strong economy that we provide the best conditions for them to survive and thrive? Yes. I'm, I'm, can I say to my honourable friend that I'm very happy to join her in recognising the ro- vital role that small businesses play in our economy and indeed in our local communities and they are providing valuable services products and jobs for local people and we should never fail to recognize the great work that they do but of course government's role is ensuring that there's a strong economy in which those businesses can thrive and that's exactly what the conservative government is doing Uh, Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister will know uh, that later this month Zimbabwe will have its first elections since Mugabe was ousted by a military coup. Uh, Recently, uh, my friend the Honourable Member for Bournemouth West and myself have returned from Zimbabwe. We heard from Zimbabweans the concern that this will not be a genuinely free and fair election. Uh, Will the Prime Minister, the Constitution is not being adhered to and the opposition are having no uh, chance of getting to to the state media, would the Prime Minister give an assurance that our government will not rush in to agreeing that this is a free and fair election until we have seen that it really means change and not just for the election. I say to the Honourable Lady, can I commend the work that she does, the excellent work she continues to do as Chair of the APPG on Zimbabwe. Obviously, we welcome the announcement of the date of the election on the 30th of July, but we are urging all parties involved to pursue free, fair and peaceful elections, because that, I think that is absolutely what the Zimbabwean people deserve. And uh, we will certainly watch very carefully to see how those elections are conducted and, uh, uh, and consider, obviously, the conduct of those elections as appropriate. Um, we have repeatedly said that if the Zimbabwean government can demonstrate commitment to political and economic reform, then the UK stands ready to do all it can to support its recovery. But obviously that commitment is essential. Jerome Patterson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. President Macron has ordered that every one of his cabinet ministers should be subject to a performance review. When the Prime, <laughs> when the Prime Minister meets her cabinet on Friday... Will she judge every one of their contributions and the final deal that they decide against the very clear criteria laid down in the Conservative Manifesto and the Labour Manifesto, which got 85% of the votes, that we'll categorically be leaving the single market, the customs union and the remit of the ECJ? I say to my right honourable friend that I'm pleased to say we have a strong team of the Cabinet who will be taking this decision on Friday. And can I, can I, assure, can I assure my right honourable friend 
can I assure my right honourable friend that the Brexit that this government will be delivering and is working to deliver is a Brexit that ensures that we are out of the customs union, we're out of the single market, we're out of uh, the jurisdiction of the European Court of Justice, we're out of the common agricultural policy, we're out of the common fisheries policy, we bring an end to free movement, we take control of our borders, we have an independent trade policy, and, but we're also able to have a good trade arrangement with the European Union, protecting jobs and prosperity for the future. Mr Angus Brendan McNeil. Mr Speaker, and uh, sweetly following on from the member opposite, uh, with the Prime Minister's chequers failure Friday on the way uh, and Max Fax soon giving way for tot cap or total capitulation, the UK Government's handling of Brexit has been dither, delay and duck. But can I give the Prime Minister an opportunity for a straight answer? Shellfish producers in my constituency are worried about getting their produce to the French market and the Spanish market, together with those countries and independent Ireland, of course. How open does the Prime Minister want and envisage the borders and the trade routes to be after Brexit? I say to the honourable gentleman that I have made very clear that we are committed to no hard border between Northern Ireland and Ireland and to as frictionless uh, a border with the European Union in the future as, uh, as possible. But can I also say to the honourable gentleman that I think fishermen up and down the country are welcoming the proposals that my right honourable friend, the Environment Secretary, has put forward on fisheries policy for the future. It is this government that is taking the UK out of the common fisheries policy. The worst policy for fishermen in Scotland would be the SNP's policy of staying in the CFP. Mr Robert Halfon. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, In in, in Harlow in 2016... I know what this question is about, and it must be heard with courtesy... And respect, Mr. Robert Halfon. Thank you. Uh, in Harlow in 2016, a beautiful little girl, Summer Grant, tragically lost her life when a bouncy castle she was playing in blew away. This weekend, there was another horrific fatality in Great Yarmouth from an inflatable. The grandmother of Summer Grant has contacted me and asked for there to be more safeguarding and training for these temporary structures. My right honourable friend for Great Yarmouth has also urged for lessons to be learned, and I've been contacted by other parents around the country whose children have been injured in similar circumstances. A reputable operator from Harlow has told me that bounty castles can be bought for just a few hundred pounds on eBay, and many inflatables are not properly regulated. Will my honourable friend urgently review the regulations around bounty castles and inflatables and implement a temporary ban on bounty castles and inflatables in public areas until we know they can be safe. Can I say to my honourable friend, he's raised obviously a very, very serious issue, and can I first of all offer my deepest condolences, and I'm sure those of the whole House, to the family of Summer Grant, but also the family of Ava May Littleboy, who was, of course, uh, uh, tragically uh, the victim of the bouncy castle incident that took place at this weekend. I do share my honourable friend's concerns about these tragic incidents. As regards the incident that took place at the weekend, I understand Norfolk Police, aided and working with the Health and Safety Executive, have started an investigation into the incident. It's too early to know the cause of the incident, but if any findings emerge from the investigation, then the necessary recommendations to improve safety will be shared across the relevant sectors as soon as possible. And Hussein. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Under this government, we have seen a climate of division towards refugees and migrants 
with Windrush just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, yeah. Yet now we see them extend this hostile environment to those facing oppression and seeking protection with the revelation that the Home Office have failed to let new asylum contracts in Yorkshire and Humber, creating the real risk that those fleeing persecution will be left without roofs over their head. Is this the vision for Britain that the Prime Minister sees, or will she give a guarantee here today that no one fleeing persecution will find themselves homeless? Can I say to the Honourable Gentleman that this country has a proud and long tradition of welcoming those who are fleeing from persecution and and providing them with the appropriate support. Uh, I will, as he will have noticed, the Home Secretary is on the front bench and will have heard the specific issue he's raised about the Home Office contracts in his, in his area. But we have that long and proud tradition. It continues today. We welcome and we deal sensitively and carefully with those who are fleeing persecution, and we will continue to do so. Rebecca Powell. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Just as an aside, the Burko report on speech, language and communication uh, was very well referenced in Westminster Hall this morning. But my question is about ice cream. Uh, in this hot weather, there's been a great run on Granny Gothard's ice cream in Taunton Dean, all the milk provided by local farmers. But it's not just popular locally, Mr Speaker. Granny Gothard's has just secured contracts to sell its 135 varieties of ice cream to China. And it's, ah. and it's expanding to South Saudi Arabia Very and the good. Middle East. Very good. So, would the Prime Minister... Join with me in congratulating Granny Gothards on their sweet export success and on winning two business awards in the Taunton Dean Business Awards. And does this not demonstrate the opportunities on the global market? Well, can I, can I say to my honourable friend, I'm very happy to join her in congratulating Granny Gothards for not only for the two business awards that they've achieved, but also, crucially, for those export contracts that they are working on and that they are uh, achieving. And uh, it's absolutely right that my honourable friend highlights the opportunities that businesses will have as we leave the European Union, because it will be an opportunity to boost productivity, deliver better infrastructure, maximise the potential of our country, maximise the potential of businesses like Granny Gotthard's, which are obviously such a success in her constituency. In the week of a special birthday, for him and in the name of encouraging a young member as he seeks to build his career, I call Mr Stephen Pound. Mr Speaker, may I, in respect of the Prime Minister's opening statement, declare an interest, as I too was born in the first week of July 1948. Whereas I recognise that the National Health Service is held in rather higher esteem in the nation than I am, we... (laughs) We both need a bit of care and attention. May I tell the Prime Minister what the NHS needs is not warm words, but cold cash. And I would willingly happily, joyfully pay more in income tax to save the National Health Service, would she? Can I, can I, can I first of all, wish the Honourable Gentleman a very happy 70th birthday this week? And can I say to him that he is held in very high esteem across this House, and he should not underestimate it? May I also... 
yes, that may, not have, that may not have done very well for him with his front bench, I'm afraid, for me saying that, but there we are. Can I, can I, can I also, Mr Speaker, can I also, Mr Speaker, take this opportunity, as I haven't had one previously, to say I wish a very happy birthday for his uh, birthday on Monday of my right honourable and learned friend, the member for Rushcliffe. <laughs> And uh, can I, in answer to the issue that the Honourable Gentleman uh, raised in his question, uh, I think that uh, he, what we are doing for the National Health Service is providing it with that money, ensuring that by 2023-24 it will have £20 billion extra uh, in real terms, and, in, and ensuring alongside that that a 10-year plan is produced which delivers for patients. Following the celebrations of Armed Services Day, would my right honourable friend join me in supporting an inspirational charity, the On Course Foundation, which is helping injured military personnel both here and in the USA who have lost limbs to rebuild their lives through giving them the skills, knowledge and confidence to find long-term employment in the golf industry? Would she agree to meet with me and some of these amazing men and women to see how this charity founded by John Simpson could be extended to some of our other services, such as the police service and the fire service? I thank my right honourable friend uh, for the uh, warm words that she's put about the Armed Forces Foundation, which I think is doing excellent work, as she says. It is really important that we ensure that those of our uh, armed forces who are injured, those of our armed forces who are veterans, are given the support that they need. She's highlighted a particular area in which that is happening. I may say Armed Forces Day on Saturday gave me the opportunity to announce that we are going next year to have the first national games for wounded, injured and sick veterans and personnel of our armed forces, inspired by the Invictus Games, but these are games that will be focused on those in our British uh, armed forces next year. And as she has mentioned the police and fire service, I will ensure that the Minister from the Home Office responsible will meet with her. Seema Malhotra. Mr Speaker, this morning I spoke with the Afghan Sikh community leaders in my constituency following the horrific terrorist attack in the Afghan city of Jalalabad on Sunday, which was a deliberate attack with devastating consequences. The 19 killed included the trustees of the Gurdwara and the only Sikh candidate in the forthcoming elections, Mr Aftar Singh Khalsa. The Gurdwara had been a safe haven for many persecuted families, and they were on their way to visit the President. Mr Speaker, at the moment now, the Afghan Sikhs in West London are meeting in prayer and remembrance for those killed, many of whom they knew. Will the Prime Minister update the House on what she is doing to ensure the safety of minorities in Afghanistan, including meeting with the Afghan diaspora, about their concerns? Can I say to the Honourable Lady, she's raised a very serious issue, and the terrorist attack that she has referred to was indeed an appalling attack, uh, and, as she said, too many uh, were victims and lost their lives as a result of the attack that took place uh, in Afghanistan. And it is important that we ensure that we are providing support, as we do through our contribution to, uh, in Afghanistan, which is about uh, contribution to security in the, uh, in the Kabul area, specifically from our forces, but working with others to ensure that the Afghan security forces are able to provide the security and safety for all communities who are living in Afghanistan. There have been tremendous uh, achievements have been made in terms of Afghanistan today compared to what it was like in the past before these efforts.
efforts were put in, but as she has highlighted, sadly, we still see too many terrorist attacks taking place in Afghanistan, and we will continue to work with our allies and with the Afghan government to prevent these in the future and to ensure that people can go about their daily life in safety and security and confidence. Redwood Lee, in agreeing with the Prime Minister, as I always do, that Brexit means Brexit, and that means generally taking back control. Will she confirm today that after we leave the EU, we will not just be leaving the single market and the customs union, but can she confirm that it is her personal position and the settled negotiating position of Her Majesty's Government that after we leave the EU, we will have full and unfettered control of migration into this country, full and unfettered control of our ability to make new trade deals with the rest of the world, and above all, full and unfettered control of the way we regulate our own business. I can, I'm very happy to say to my honourable friend, we will indeed, after we leave the European Union, we will be operating our own independent uh, trade policy, Parliament will be determining our laws, and we will bring an end to free movement. Finally, Mr. Chukramuna. Uh, Mr. Speaker, a 19 year old uh, constituent was stabbed in December 2016. He nearly died from his injuries, and his mother subsequently came to see me to get help to move out of borough because she feared it would happen again. Despite our efforts, they were not moved, and as his mother feared, late last Wednesday he was again stabbed, this time seven times, close to their home. Prime Minister, it is an outrage that the system is not protecting teenagers in this situation. What does it say about our society? Will she commit to introduce a compulsory scheme, not just pan London, but nationally, to facilitate such necessary moves between social housing providers and, quite simply, save lives? I say to the Honourable Gentleman that obviously he has raised an issue, first of all, on the issue of the attacks that took place uh, on his constituent. Um, we do take, are taking this issue of uh, use of offensive weapons, obviously we are introducing the offensive, offensive weapons bill, but also of serious violence very seriously. I understand the Honourable Gentleman is sitting on the task force on serious violence that my right honourable friend, the Hem- Home Secretary, uh, is, has uh, established to ensure that we are taking account of views across this House on this issue, which is a matter for all of us, uh, and, uh, and, and to do that. And I'm grateful to him for sitting on that task force. He refers to a matter, of course, which is a matter uh, which lies in the hands of local authorities and social housing providers, uh, and social pro- housing providers. And in relation to London and looking at uh, the operations across London, of course, it is possible for him to speak to the Mayor of London about the responsibility that he has and the opportunities that he would wish to introduce. Thank you. Order. Point of order.